Bringing everything coast to coast with your hosts, Buddy Satella Esquire and Dr. Mike Leno. And it looks right now like we are flying solo or in a two-seater tonight. We, we Our expected guest is not here at the moment. If he comes in, we will break in with uh, 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 breaking news with that. But uh, it's just basically you and I in a one-on-one conversation, which hasn't happened in a long time, so there's nothing wrong with that and i think we can fill out the hour with lots of different things but but, but look, uh, we're talking about the 49ers victory 33 to 17 over miami but you said jimmy garoppolo got his uh, ankle broken he's out for the rest of the season that's yeah uh, or his foot either his foot or his ankle broken and yeah even if they make it to the postseason it's probably going to be like a two-month thing for him to recover so uh the niners are now down to brock purdy not brock lesnar but Brock Purdy as their only quarterback. And I don't think there's ever been a team in the history of the NFL that has won a Super Bowl with their third-string quarterback. So that's going to be very interesting. Well, it doesn't look good for California teams. Both the uh, L.A. Rams and the L.A. Chargers lost today. And it, it is mind-boggling that when the L.A. Rams, the historic, you know, 50s, 60s L.A. Rams moved to St. Louis, which was insane. Uh, and we had no Los Angeles had no football teams whatsoever that not only they get the Rams, but they steal the Chargers from San Diego. I, I know they People were still calling the San Diego Chargers. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I still think of them as that. I still call uh, WWE, WWF, like a lot of people ah. once in a while by mistake because that name is so ridiculous world wrestling entertainment uh, they don't what call- i never understood what i didn't understand about that mike is why didn't they go back to being the wwwf certainly they own the the rights to that yeah, i wanted to ask i'll ask Nap- george napolitano who um, might be the only one you know other than in-house at titan wwe why they dropped I think they just wanted to make it simpler. And I think that occurred around 78. They dropped the, uh, but it was the Worldwide Wrestling Federation when I shot a couple of times there and uh, did the loop with John Arizzi. And we went to the TV in Hamburg, and I guess it was Allentown in Pennsylvania. They did two different TVs. And then Boston Gardens and Philly Spectrum, and of course, Madison Square Garden. But yeah. Um, it was a lot of letters, I guess a little bit wordy, and it was just dropped. It was dropped about the same time Vince McMahon finally, senior, joined the NWA and went to the meetings in Vegas with, you know, Munchnik, who he was actually friends with, and Vern Gagne, who we had a relationship with. I mean, he knew all those guys. You wouldn't see Vince Jr. doing going to those historic annual uh, Vegas uh, meetings. Apparently, they didn't want him there, too, that once Vince took over. The other guys weren't yeah. all that, all that welcoming. Yeah, by that point. But I'm talking the classic 70s NWA. It was kind of a nice surprise. People were happy. I mean, Harley Race. There was the, that band, the NWA, which, you know, N-word with attitude. So that wasn't quite, you know, a, a, you know there, there, there was that That's sort of brand confusion as well. Those guys were wrestling fans. There was uh, wasn't one of the members. I forget who did uh, the Ric Flair, the Nature Boy song, or something. Or he's, I don't know what. Somebody will will help me out with that. It was a hip hop song that played on uh, Slick Rick was I guess the guy's name. Um, you know, and he took that 
admittedly from uh, Ric Flair. So, excuse me. I'm sorry. By the way, you it know, looks like your camera may have stopped moving yeah. here. Why don't you turn Slip. your camera off and turn it back on again and see if it if it unfreezes? I'm frozen again. Yeah, not that anyone cares, but I'm so used to radio. Yeah, now it's working. Now it's working. Or back, well, you know, it might be the freezing cold weather out here. Yeah. A weird cold snap. How is the... Uh, we finally gonna... had rain. We finally had rain here in Northern California. Well, which... we're all in a, a drought. But not in a drought is the Northern California wrestling scene. What What do you know about uh, the King of the Indies? Is it, it's, it, it sounds like a, uh, all pro wrestling is Marcus Jacobson and, and the sort of new APW since Roland passed. Uh, are working, you know, that was their in-house uh, biggest show of the year. Um, but they're working with the South San Francisco group and the show itself. Do you know any about, anything about this? Uh, you know, I haven't done, especially since COVID, I haven't done any, you know, been to any live wrestling, uh, any indie stuff, um, you know. So I, I, and I, I haven't really been aligned with APW since I left it when uh, that was all the way back in 2002, 2003, when I switched over to Pro Wrestling Iron back well, there. So uh, the show's going to take place at, uh, and actually, I'm sorry, it's not uh, APW, but it's Gabe Ramirez's. Oh, uh, Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Not Gorilla. But uh, it's, Wrestle Revolution. Yeah, Revolution that's in partnership with that group, and they have some uh, New Japan stars. Uh, but the risk of burning any bridges, me and Gabe did not get along too well over at APW either. So he's one guest I will likely not have on the show. There's like well, a list of about... read this. Uh, so it's King of the Indies. King of the Indies tournament draws talent from Pro Wrestling Noah and Dragon Gate, along with the uh, Mexican Luchadors. Uh, it's yeah, we were there for the original one though, back in 2000. When uh, Roland did it with APW. Yeah, well, that was the two-night tournament in Vallejo. With Low Key. Uh, let's see. I'm you remember Low Key? He was a big it, it, factor. West Coast Pro is what that South San Francisco-based group are. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know who runs West Coast Pro. Well, Vinny Massaro is the booker. West Coast Pro and Pro Wrestling Revolution are running King of the Indie show, streaming live. Uh, indie Super Show, eight-man tournament to crown the king of the indies. I, you know, because they didn't have, there was, I mean, once Roland died, I mean, the 2001 original, fantastic, very influential king of the indies, that was it until 2015. And then APW and Marcus threw a two-night tournament um, during the whole WrestleMania week in San Jose in 2015. Uh, says the, I'm just reading here off the site, the tourney's roots extend back to 2000 when Chris Daniels was the inaugural winner. That, that's not my knowledge. There was, King of the Indies was 2001. It was won by Loki, excuse me, uh, Chris, uh, American Dragon, Brian Danielson over Loki in the final. Christopher Daniels won the first one. There was one in 2000, and then there was one in 2001. Is that a house show or was it at the not at Vallejo? The we did those at the Vallejo over at the uh, that that uh, uh, sports complex. Okay, so they haven't had any since the one that I shot. I guess it was 2018 that Dragon Lee won his second one. So it says Dragon Lee's returning 
seeking a win for the record third straight time. Uh, but I, I can tell you, the, the first one in 2000 was a pretty damn good show. Uh, the problem was... is well, Who that, was on it? I don't even remember that. I probably shot Okay, it. yeah, that one had... Um, Low Key was on it, was part of it. We had um, uh, uh, Daniels was part of it. Um, you know, the, the main APW guys were part of it. I believe we brought up uh, guys like Samoa Joe. But that was Rick um, Bassman's group. They came up from so Yeah, we had Bassman's group come up for that. You know, and so it was... Uh, it was really kind of like a lot of those guys. I think Kazarian may have been part of it. Um, I think Richards, Stevie Richards was part of it. Um, we had uh, 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 that guy, um, Big Schwag, who was the manager back then as part of it. Um, Looney Lane was part of it. I miss Looney. I wonder where, what she's doing now. She's one of, the, one of the fun people of that whole era. Melissa Anderson was still dating one of the Ballard twins, and uh -huh. she was down there learning how to take bumps. She was very credible. Uh, they had lots of, you know, when I went down to shoot uh, Bassman's UPW in, in like the Long Beach area, uh, that was, you know, Cena was starting. Yeah, I think it was the, the tag, there was a tag team title match between the Ballards and um, uh, the West Side Players. You know, yeah. uh, Boyce and Robert Thompson. A fake Roland APW versus Bassman's UPW fusion versus promotion, which was hell of a lot better than the one uh, APW versus Big Time Wrestling. Here's the uh, first round tournament matches. I don't know if this show is last Saturday or this coming Saturday. SP Kento versus La Australia. Kevin Blackwood versus Fatu. I'm assuming that's. Uh, Jacob Fatu, Titus Alexander, that's a big deal there, versus Dragon Lee, that's a hell of a match. Andralistico versus Viento. There's also a four-way pro wrestling rev openweight title bout, which includes Mysterioso. I don't know if that's the original or the... Uh, Probably son. not. not Extreme Tiger, Marafuchi, which is huge, and Vinny Massaro, as well as a special attraction bout of Kratos, who's in the NWA now, against Nakajima. And see, um, uh, SB Kento is only 22 from Dragon Gate. Uh, well, we haven't had Vinny Massaro on the show, even though I've worked with him a lot. I worked with him, you know, that's who I started with at All Pro Wrestling. And then I went on to work with him extensively at California Championship Wrestling. But I'm still kind of upset at Vinny when he was on the Howard Stern show. He was brought on to the Howard Stern show because of his, his minor role at XPW. And Charles, the, who was the guy who ran um, uh, 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 California Championship Wrestling, was a crazy fan of Howard Stern. And it would have taken Vinny Massaro two seconds to say he was the running a, a manager, a, a professional wrestling training facility at, in Newman at CCW. And somehow, Vinny just didn't get around to mentioning any of that. In fact, um, uh, Howard it's Stern was ruling. He was a wrestler, though. I watched the Stern uh, thing, the video of that. Yeah, he could have brought up for five seconds. He could have said, I also run a, a wrestling school out in Newman for California Championship Wrestling. And he couldn't. And, and Howard Stern was drooling all over his wife, Veronica. And, you know, uh, uh, Vinny just kind of giggled and... And, you know, kind of went with it. She started, she started as uh, 
Bad Boy Boyce Legrand's valet. That's right. That's right. How did she and uh, Vinny Massaro hook up? Are they just were they already together? Or no, they met each other during that training session. Those training sessions where Vinny Vinny was in charge of of training the managers and valets. So he taught me. He taught Veronica, and he taught Sarah Del Rey at the same time. And there were like one or two other managers who didn't make it during that time frame. And so every Saturday, I would drive out from Marin County to Hayward, which is about an hour drive, to let Vinny powerbomb me repeatedly for, you know, an hour or so. And I would also have Sarah Del Rey give me incredibly hard punches and slaps and low blows. She always missed the target. She'd always wallop me in the low stomach. And that's why I called her Sarah the Stiff. But um, those were fun times. Fortunately, I was in better shape and I could take all that. Uh, Veronica never really worked out well as a valet or manager. And shortly after being in ABW, working with Boyce Legrand and Mark Smith, she you know threw in the towel. She, she got pregnant from Vinny and they had a kid and they got married and they're still together. So it's been like almost 20 years. Yeah, that's uh, nice. They're a good couple. I mean, the starting thing was a big deal. It, it was a shame they couldn't promote West Coast uh, wrestling. A California championship remember wrestling. what he was there for. He was there for ugly alleged, you know, this was the contest. There were three couples, ugly guy, beautiful wife, was the the thing and he ended up winning or they won as a couple and um yeah i don't know but he just looks like a regular guy i don't know how he qualified as like a horrifically ugly guy but um yeah those were some great days if you remember a lot of stuff i remember before she came in uh didn't uh when dedrich was a part of that they they had like cherry bomb as a valet and i guess yes Russell, she was, this was a different Sherry Bomb. It wasn't the, the, the more famous one. Right. I think now. She's it, the one that, that breathed fire. She had the ability to like. Yeah, she, she was a would, fire eater. Yeah, she was like doing geek acts and stuff. She never really did much wrestling. She took some bumps in a match. She was super nice. I really yeah, liked nice. Sherry Bomb very yeah. much. Girl, I don't know whatever happened to her. She was in, going to school, <laughs> the APW school to learn bumps. And she was at that. Uh, uh, I guess it was the San Mateo County Fair. They had a huge, big outdoor show that brought up some Lucha guys, mostly all APW talent. And she had a match with Melissa. Uh, Melissa was trying to carry her, as she would later on a Gabe show. Melissa Anderson tried to carry Lacey Von Eric, uh, Kevin Von, or Carrie's daughter, who I think is totally out of the business now, which was, you know, a shame, but. Uh, she had the legacy going and everything. It was kind of a nice story. It would have fit in great with uh, Kevin's two kids who were in MLW, Court Bowers promotion, Major League Wrestling, um, which is, you know, kind of an expense. They have to trans them in from uh, Maui, I think is where. Right? I think that's why the King of the Indies really didn't work, because Roland spent a lot of money on flying guys out like Adam Pierce. He had Adam Pierce on the show. Adam was still with the UPW, so he just—I think he drove up from LA. Right, but that—but so the second uh, one, Keiichi, yeah, Samocho, Keiichi Sakoda, uh, Spanky, Brian Kendrick came up. I mean, oh yeah, that's right. Tony, uh, 
excuse me, uh, Frankie Kazarian and Chris Daniels, they drove up. But you had coming from Florida, the Black Nature Boy, Scoot Andrews. Yes. And uh, and, and Brian, uh, Brian Danielson, I, I don't know if he... I managed Vinny against Scoot Andrews in the first round of that of that tournament. And oh, you Scoot managed was, Vinny against him? Yeah, and Scoot was a good guy. He was he the was fun. Nice guy, really, really nice guy. I don't know why he didn't continue on with wrestling. Loki and I already knew each other, so I had him pose with folks like Brian Alvarez and Daniels and Samoa Joe and uh, Danielson himself, all for group shots before they even let in the fans. But uh, no, so I can't remember the first King of the Indies in 19, or excuse me, 2000, but obviously I remember the two night Balea one, the big one with American Dragon Danielson going over Loki. Which would you say was the better of the two? First one. You think the second one was the one that had the rebellion? That was the one where where there was all the stuff going behind the scenes with uh, 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 Donovan Morgan and with Modest and with Bison and them being offered to go to Noah. And then uh, Roland was blowing that whole Noah connection. And so what had happened, one of the things that happened was that Bison got hurt like about a month earlier wrestling um, uh, Dalip. He like picked him up for a slam and he really hurt his shoulder. He like dislocated his shoulder. And Bison had to go to the emergency room and get his shoulder looked at. And when he came back, you know, he said, hey, Roland, are you going to pay for the emergency room visit that I had to have because of this whole thing with, with Delete? And Roland refused to pay. Yeah. And, and Bison, you know, and this was all when Roland was trying to get his 10% out of Bison and Donovan and Modest for being part of Noah. He was trying to cut in 10% of their pay anyway. And, you know, uh, I had a long talk with with uh, Mark, and he was like, look, you know, I'm I if I have to pay all these expenses myself, screw Roland and his desire to get 10% out of me. You know, I'm getting hurt on a light show you know, with no audience, basically, or an audience of just the garage. And and I could be at Noah, you know, wrestling in front of 10, 20,000 people. And the, the, the leap was uh, later to be the great Kali in WWE was, you know, clumsy. He really, yes. it was it was more like the freak show. I think they even brought him he in. He was a weightlifter. He was a weightlifter, and so he really didn't, unlike a lot of other, you know, guys who had real, like, combat experience, martial arts experience, uh, Dalit never knew how to fight in the ring. He never had any ability to really know how to do any of the moves. And, of course, that led to him, unfortunately, killing uh, Brian Ong in that uh, uh, incident. That I'm really surprised that Dark Side of the Ring hasn't, hasn't done a show about the Dalip uh, Brian Ong situation. I was just interviewed by our friend Javier Ost, who uh, 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 asked me about a lot of what happened with the Dalip situation. And I wasn't there for the actual uh, accident that cost Brian Ong his life, but uh, I did have a number of things to say about it. And I'll even say them here because, you know, why not? You know, this is 
my podcast, but I was actually named in the lawsuit that the Ongs filed initially against APW and Roland Alexander. And once they knew that I actually didn't have a financial anybody, stake. Anybody in, that's part of the group? Is that what they, the, the attorneys advise on the? Yeah. Yeah. And as you remember, that APW didn't really exist as an entity. It was Pacific Coast Sports. That was the, right. it was the original name. And then I guess the secondary fictitious name was All Pro Wrestling. Right. But everything was filed under Pacific Coast Sports and the actual uh, company was Pacific Coast oh, Sports. I forget because I attended the trial, most all of it. You know, it's like at least I was there for five days of it. And remember, I think I told you that Roland was up there cutting promos and, and like the judge was scratching his head. He's he's asked to answer a question. And he goes into this long thing of claiming he babysat the rock. Dwayne Johnson was rocking and was, you know, in the ring at the Cow Palace and some other stuff that I know was not true that, you know, he he was. Everybody sort of embellishes and, and wrestling, and it always pained me when Roland would bring out those old lies to students. But um, he, he was trying to, I guess, ingratiate himself with the jury. And I, I forget, you know what? I can't even remember the outcome now. Didn't they? Oh, I'll tell you what happened. Well, first of all, I want to go on record as saying I was not the attorney for Roland at that point. He had fired me, and I'd left and gone over to Pro Wrestling Iron because I had told. Roland and Jason and Gabe that APW should have settled that lawsuit and settled out of court, which they would have been liable for a lot less than they would have. The verdict was for $2.2 million. And they did find that Ong was 70% liable for his own injuries. And that uh, APW was liable for 30%. That still came. That, how, do, wait, how do you figure that? How, oh, I'll tell you why. Because Ong had lied about his background in fighting. He had been kicked out of a karate, number of karate tournaments because he had suffered five previous concussions before going into school at APW as a wrestler. And I'm, I, I will say this. If you suffer five concussions, the next sport that you should be in should be badminton or curling or, you know, uh, ping pong or something where you can't get hurt. Why you would go after five concussions and sign up for a professional wrestling school is pretty much signing your own death warrant anyway. And his neck and back of his head were so fragile from all the damage he had taken from karate and from being hurt in those other tournaments that that's why they found him uh, 70% liable because he lied. ABW asked him about his history in uh, uh, fighting and he said, oh no, I've never been hurt. I'm in my peak health. I've gotten a medical exam. I'm cleared to go. And he never did any of those things. Mm -hmm. But so they might have come during the sentencing. I wasn't there for the sentencing. I was just for when Roland was on the stand. You know, well, it's, sentencing is not the right term because it's uh, 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 the, the, it wasn't a criminal trial. He wasn't sentenced to anything. It was a civil trial, and he was found liable, 30% liable for the injuries that uh, uh, so Ryan So what did it end up being, 30% of however many, two point whatever million? 
Yeah, it was something like a $200,000 judgment against Roland, which was not huge as far as personal injury lawsuits go, but I think he only had like 50000 in insurance. So he still wound up owing like 150 or something like that. And I don't think he paid them a cent. I don't think the Ongs ever got paid a cent outside of whatever. 50% or 50000 from the insurance, though? Yeah, I think they got the money from the insurance, and that's all they got. I mean, I don't think Roland ever. They would, have had, a, they would have had a ground to, um, to pursue that. I don't know what they did or didn't do. But one thing you remember about Roland was that he was an accountant. And a slippier, slipperier fish you could never have tried to grab a hold of. He had way, I mean, he owed the IRS tens of thousands of dollars in back taxes that he never paid. That, that I do know, is that he, ne he never paid the IRS for eight, nine years worth of taxes running APW. How did he get away with that? He was an accountant, and he was able, he cooked his own books and was able to show yeah, every year he didn't make say, money. He, and then they then would say would, eventually something like, well, this isn't a business. This is a hobby. If you're not turning a profit. Right. And, and you know, he was, yeah. he was finding ways to say, you know, I, I, he tried to rob Peter to pay Paul. And then he would always shift other expenses that he had for his personal stuff into the APW um, ledger to show that APW wasn't making money and for a while, I don't think they were. I know that he barely was able to pay rent on that place in Hayward every month. He found some way, you know, at the end of every month to just squeeze just enough money out of the students so that he could keep the you rent. The when they up. closed the doors, Marcus told me, when they closed the doors soon after his death, just a couple of days later, Marcus, who bought the APW name and its assets, whatever, not the liabilities, tried to get back into the garage to at least get the chairs and some other, uh, you know, possessions of Roland's and they wouldn't let him in the owners uh, of that Cabot, you know, cause that was the exit off the 880 Winton at Cabot, uh, the Winton exit off the 880 freeway. No, and many times drove it, drove off of it many times. All drove it a zillion times. And then you remember Dilip Singh was rooming on the second floor. Was he rooming? Before all the shit went down, say 2000, was he, wasn't he rooming like Modest or somebody was- Modest lived there, um, Corey lived there. I think Donovan lived there for a while. He, uh, Vito Tomaselli lived there, uh, Dalif lived there. Yeah, they had converted the upper area of the uh, garage, uh, you know, that, that warehouse into a whole bunch of illegal uh, dorm rooms, quote unquote. They were just really just- so did make the boys pay or or not? That was included with their training. You know, I that part I wasn't very sure of. I think Dalip wound up paying for it through his handler, yeah. this guy named Dr. Kumar. That was awful. It was pretty disgusting. It was. It was. It was. It was. But rents in Hayward were pretty expensive back then. And Dalip was had this guy, this handler named Dr. Kumar who is the guy that brought him from India to the United States. And I, I will go on record saying this, too. I have met some people that have given me the creeps in my time. Nobody freaked me out more than Dr. Kumar. Why? What, what, what was he like? I never. I don't think I met him. Scary. Him. He was scary, and you could tell that he used 
Dalip like a slave. Dalip was like a piece of meat to him. He was not somebody that he cared about. He was just somebody that lifted weights. Uh, apparently, Dalip was was totally unemployed and like living in the gutters of Calcutta when when Dr. Kumar found him. And Dalip was member of the lower caste. So, you know, I don't know if people really understand Indian politics that much. It's a caste you know, system, is what they call it. Uh, yeah, he was he was part of the untouchable class. Dalip was part of the untouchable class. And and when Dalip first came to the United States, I had an adopted grandmother um, who lived in San Francisco, and her next door neighbor was from India. And so I had said, well, can you ask your your neighbor to give Dalip a hand? And so we I got Dalip's phone number, his cell phone, and I had him call this lady. And the lady and Dalip talked for about half an hour. She found out he was part of the lower caste, and she refused to lift a finger to help Dalip. That's crazy. And my 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 grandmother was furious at her and stopped talking to her, but she had nothing to do with Dalip. Dr. Kumar did not ever come back to the United States, as far as I know. He wanted to. They were trying to work out a deal where. When Roland sold uh, Dalip's rights over to the WWE or NWA or WCW at the time, that he would then kick back a percentage of those. He would he would have Kumar get most of the money, and then Roland would get a kickback from that. But Dalip, uh, uh, you know, didn't want to share all that money. So I think for a little while, Dalip kind of escaped. APW and went to Mexico. He was part right, of right. He was in Mexico. Yeah, he was with the, uh, I think it was CMLL or yeah, CMLL. Thank you. I was trying to remember was that. And they they had to deal with New Japan, and uh, but he was sent to like a uh, worked not shoot but a worked MMA group for one of those January first or New Year's Eve shows, and it was like a freak show where they had you know six hundred pound guys and big tall guys. Uh, guys with little experience in wrestling. And he kind of finessed, and we're talking when we say Dalip Singh, we're talking about the great Kali who, you know, eventually have great success, even though he's a shitty wrestler, even at, at for WWE level at that point. Uh, just a big, but he was a, a nice guy. You know, I felt badly. Yeah, he, he was really just a pawn, you yeah. know, until he finally made money in the WWE he was just somebody that other people like Dr. Kumar and Roland and and the other feds that he was at just shopped him around like he was a piece of meat. No, I don't I'm not even sure that when he came to California, I'm not sure he even could read. I think he was learning how to read when he first came and he didn't speak any English. You and he was he just was dropped off that. there by Dr. Kumar. Dr. Yeah, Kumar just like dropped him off there and then every couple of weeks, every once a week, this taxi driver would come in, another guy who spoke only uh, Hindi, and would pick Dalip up, and they would go shopping for food and clothes and, and other items that, uh, that Dalip needed, and then they would drop him back off at the gym. And for a long time, I mean, Dalip just stood, sat there by himself in that one room, which, you know, we think is awful, but apparently, according to Dalip, it was like, a million times better than where he was staying in India. So that's got to 
that's got to tell you. You know, we that's one thing we think about. We think about, oh man, that's a terrible place to live in California. But you know, when you think about like bad places in California, our worst places are better than some of the best places. Well, that they got them up the second floor. You remember they would let fans up there. That was the crow's nest. Yes, up the auditorium. They would let fans up there when the you know the gym wars were usually always packed. But the bathroom up there, I don't even think was prumbed legally, uh, and it was always pretty awful. The main bathroom was downstairs. You know, there weren't that many bathrooms for all those. Yeah, I was going to say the other bathroom was around the corner where people just pee on the side of the building <laughs> during those light shows. So. Well, Roland's office, you go out, make a hard left, go like you're going towards the ring, and that's where the bathroom was. And it was weird because they'd have to close off the curtain or they'd see all the heels and faces, you know, conglomerating in that. Yeah, tank. going over their show and kayfabe still lived back then. So, yeah, you didn't want to see all that happening that much. But it was it was. Uh, and, and I remember too, Delete when he first started, he he was the heel managed by uh, Deadrich. And then who was the female that wasn't uh, that wasn't the, the, the who became. No, the, that was a kid, a kid Chrome's girlfriend. Miss TNA. Okay. Uh, There's so many guys that walk through the APW doors, uh, you know, great guys, and not just like the originals, like the Cole brothers or, or folks like that. Uh, Super Diablo, who was there, and obviously uh, uh, many of the other guys. But I'm trying to think there was... Uh, uh, so many, and the, the African American kid that ended up with you in Iron, he kind of debuted in a. Darnell Taylor. Oh, no, the, one passed, the one that passed away. What, oh, 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 uh, uh, Virgil Flynn. Yeah, he had some great matches at the at the gym. Oh, Virgil was such a nice guy. If you'd given me a list of a thousand people that I thought would die before me, before I did, uh, I, I, would, I wouldn't have even put him on that list. There's no way I would have thought that he would die before he was... What was the cause of death? He had a heart attack or something? He was, was a stroke. It was a stroke so due to, like... Some, it was a stroke due to blood vessels in his brain hemorrhaging, but it wasn't because of a hit or concussions. It just was, you know, like uh, Mark Smith, just a biological problem inside his body. And you know a genetic defect, and, and you know no matter diagnosed, uh, never been diagnosed prior. No, and that's the thing is that you know I mean when you're in your early forties, you you don't think something like that's going to happen to you, but you know millions of people every year die from undiagnosed diseases, just genetic things that that they don't know they have wrong until all of a sudden they up and die. You know that that's that. It's really sad, and and Virgil was the most modest of any wrestler that I've ever met. He was the most genuine and most modest. He just never uh, 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 bragged about his abilities. Uh, probably the best high flyer I ever watched in person. And I'm I think that if he had made it, if he had lived long enough, he would have been a success in APW. I, I, I'm sorry, AEW would have brought him on board. That's just the or, kind of guys. Um, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other names. What was the, and this guy was one of the better trainers APW had towards the, uh, 
JJ Perez, who was Mr. Wrestling. Oh yes, yeah, Mr. Wrestling Four. Yeah, liked him a lot. He was a good guy. What happened to him? Why aren't people keeping in touch with these guys? Why aren't they involved? I think he wrestling? got hurt, and then you know, I mean, I hate to say it, he got old, and and you know, he's. He, I I don't think he, he was, was mostly doing a trainer. He was a. Yeah. He's a great wrestler, but he was a trainer. I don't know why he didn't stay in the business doing behind-the-scenes work. You know, I think that, that one thing, after, you know, uh, uh, Pro Wrestling Iron split off from APW, it took a lot of the best talent out of APW, and APW slid downhill for a number of years. And it really wasn't until Marcus Mack got back involved with APW and also, uh, 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 Doug Anderson got involved and started and right, pumping right. his own money and resources. Into and that's doing Melissa Anderson's son for listeners. Melissa, excuse me, her father, Melissa, uh, cheerleader, Melissa, Raisha Saeed, many other names. I think she's still doing work for uh, uh, stardom, uh, maybe not in ring, but definitely uh was the american liaison for quite a while santana garrett was doing that as well uh that is uh perhaps still i mean they have uh, some great joshi women's wrestling groups as they always have in japan but that's like the cream of the crop where but uh, apw apw after uh, a modest and bison and and donovan left and and frank murdoch and and a lot of the other you know really trained guys it turned out, you know, all APW had was like uh, uh, JJ and uh, Larry Blackwell. And remember, they made Larry Blackwell the first universal champion plus the uh, internet champion um, because they really, apparently, he was the only guy who had had his dues paid up. And so, you know, he's the only one paying money. So they basically made him a money mark and gave him the titles. What is he doing? On, is he affiliate? He's not. A, I used to see him backstage at Hood Slam shows in Oakland. I don't know if he's affiliated with wrestling or he's. You know, I, he's got to be too old to get in the ring now. He's got to be. In his, and you know, another reason JJ Perez or guys like that may have left. There really wasn't that much money. You know, you couldn't. No family. No, there wasn't. There, there really wasn't much. Uh, and and until they got TV back going again and, they, you know, getting on the Internet and, and having some decent production for about two, three years, APW was really a joke. I mean, it was really a shadow of what it was. And it took Marcus Mack and Doug Anderson to kind of bring it back to something normal, because I think at that point, Roland was really getting burned out on wrestling promoting. And he was he wanted to be more in the shadows and doing less of the day-to-day uh, -day management of APW and wanted Doug and and uh, uh, Marcus Mack to do more of the handling of it. And, you know, I mean, sad but true, Roland died in a, a two-room apartment living with Larry Blackwell as his roommate, and he didn't have a penny to his name. He had nothing. He, he, the car that he was driving was on a lease that, you know, had to be turned in once he died. And um, uh, 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 he didn't leave a cent to anybody. He had no family. He had no relatives. His sister. No, no, I used to talk to his sister. He had, uh, there was some family there. Yeah, uh, but I don't think he is. He got along with his sister at all. I mean, I well, think. He was, she was at the, the, the memorial we had where. Right. Spoke, right. Bolte spoke, Ellen Bolte. You but know. He, had no, he had no kids. You know, he had no wife. 
And so for a while around, uh, oh, hell, what year was that? Must have been 98. He, he didn't have a wife, but he had a girlfriend who I was running boards for uh, the Grand Slam, which was like the AOL. I, guess, I don't know what you would call it now. I used to do That's, that. Well, I used to do some grandstand work, too. Yes. But I mean, I had my own board and then we would go out and facilitate and bring in folks, Missy Hyatt, Joe Petticino, Often Sika. Um, there were others uh, a little bit later in the ECW era, Blue Meanie. I think Stevie Richards was on our Grand Slam site. And, uh, you know, that was during the Bob Ryder prodigy days in CompuServe. And CompuServe prodigy. CompuServe, yeah, that, that way to age yourself there the ones who were competing but i think aol had the biggest and prodigy the lesser extent with bob Ryder had oh, prodigy greatest wrestling uh folks this is in the days of dial-up internet we're talking about here you used to dial your phone and and connect with the uh, old uh, uh 1200 baud modem type thing but it, it was still kind of a, a blast everything was uh even email was new-ish around, you know, because I still have the same AOL account I've had since probably 1993. Me too. Get rid of it, but uh, it, it's just still kind of fun to have. Um, hey, it still works. I mean, I still use AOL's mail because it still works, and I haven't had to change my, my email address in 30 years. And every so often, people get a hold of me that I haven't talked to in 10, 15 years, and I go, oh, my God, your email address is still the same. I go, well, you know. There's what does a, matter? Have a Gmail. What's the the hottest? Um, Probably Gmail right now, but people still have Yahoo addresses. And yeah, and I see all these old ones. Hotmail that have been around a million years too. You know, AOL isn't the only embarrassing one to have. Yeah, Comcast is still a good address for everybody. You know, because they have it automatically when they sign up with, with Comcast. But uh, let's uh, we have a couple minutes left. Let's talk about. Uh, Tales from the Territories, because I binge-watched a whole bunch of episodes over the, the Thanksgiving holidays. And that one I enjoy. You know, I, I did more photographic work for the three seasons so far of uh, Dark Side. But, you know, it, it, you kind of get burned out on these things. You know, the very depressing and dark. Gino Hernandez, you know, some of those death ones were pretty horrific. But this one, that's all you need is you just have... The round table. So the problem is, like, the Memphis one was perfect because you had five guys that were there. You know, basically, Jeff Jarrett came along later, but you had Jerry and Dutch. And, uh, I'm talking about, uh, let's see. Kevin Von Erich. But, you know, the other ones have suffered because a lot of the folks, they either couldn't get or you let's take the AWA one. I mean, you had different eras. You know, if you would have stayed with all 70s guys. Um, it's a bit rough because, you know, the, the glory days were the sixties and seventies, but like hardly anybody's alive or could, and I think you would, all you'd have is Brunzel and, and Greg for that. And then some of the other ones, the real Hawaiian promotion that they really should have focused on, not so much, um, was the Ed Francis Lord Blair's days when you had like really tremendous cards that were insane. Like yeah, but that that fed no one is around anymore for that one. But I, I like the AWA one because that was the first time in my life where I'd seen Ken Patera interviewed about the Saito uh, uh, McDonald's incident. 
He's done a lot of shoot tapes. See if you, um, I don't know if uh, like Feinstein's RF video shoot tapes are, you know, now free years later after he did them. But Pateras talked about that at length. That's why. Yeah, but this time, everybody that was at the round table called him on it. I mean, he lied. I mean, I and I like Ken Patera overall as a guy, but he was lying about saying that some weird college student came out there and threw that boulder through the window. I, I mean, don't know if he, but he told the cops at the time. Yeah, that's what he. That's what he said to, or at least that's what he said. You know, uh, 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 on the show, and they all looked at him sideways and said, "You know, who who out there is is strong enough?" to pick up a 35-pound boulder and hurl it through a window. Yeah, you know? that's pretty, uh, uh, kind of pokes a hole in, in his story. Oh, yeah, there's only so Florida many people out good. there to do that. Yeah, the Florida one was good. You had guys more of the same era that could relate and really recall that stuff instead of folks like DDP and Medusa hearing about some of those things for the first time. Because uh, they just weren't there, you know. They were there towards the the really horrific end of, uh, uh, in, in uh, I don't know. It, it's it's fine. I, I think the Memphis one so far, and that was two parter because they just had you know the right mix of guys. But there are many territories, and I don't know if they're going to be able to do another season of this because. You know, how many fans other than the X amount of uh, unless, you know, we have fans today that want to learn history, which would be great. But I mean, you know, I don't know if there's going to be a season two. I would hope there would be because then you get San Francisco territory, Los Angeles, LaBelle and Eaton territory, which is where Blassie really came to fame and, and many others. But she, again, finding people that remember that and that were stars then is going to be really hard. Yeah, you got to have the boys. You can't have office workers. Um, you know, the Toronto Territory, the Detroit Territory. Um, and then you could, you know, I don't know. You could St. Get... Louis, they did not talk about St. Louis yet. No, I don't know if that's going to be because Matisic and Pat O'Connor, Munchnik, they're all gone. Most all the wrestlers. And, it's you know, the true. No, Bruiser Brody. You're right. No, they, a lot of those. And I, here's, if they were doing St. Louis, the guys that are alive, I would have, say, Flair, you know, in an ideal world, they're not going to get Flair. They're not going to pay him all that money. But Flair, Patera, who worked a lot at St. Louis, Hogan, who was there during the Madison days, not the classic Munchnik days. You know, really, with the loss of Reggie Parks, who worked a ton, uh, you know, he died at Cauliflower Alley last year, getting COVID there, uh, according to him. And uh, I believe it. Uh, the, yeah, there's just not a lot of guys still around. I mean, Jimmy Valiant, I shot working against Superstar Graham at a heel heel at Keel Auditorium in 77. And uh, Jimmy right now, I guess, is the oldest living active pro wrestler. He just wrestled a couple uh, of years ago. Yeah, I know that uh, that uh, Benny, uh, uh, Benny Scala talks about his uh, uh, wrestling school that he has. And he, he, he does it just as a high, I don't think he charges anybody. You talk about rolling on one end, Jimmy Valiant, it's like free, maybe bring some cans of food that Jimmy can donate to homeless people. He and his wife, Angel, they're like, they, they train guys for free. They put on shows. I don't even think they charge the fans. They do all of this stuff just for the love of the business, which is great. But Jimmy could be there. There's just not, a guy Brunsell did do, you know, a couple of shots because Vern was close to Sam Munchnik, so they could talk. 
you know, so there you have a panel. Uh, not that many guys left. Jerry Briscoe, of course. Terry Funk, I don't know how physically able he would be. Dory. So you got X amount of uh, of guys. Uh, well, no, we lost Dusty. Geez. Yeah, uh, no, it, it is tough. The, the list of people that are still around, you know, that can talk about it. And I, you're right. They, they pretty much hit as many as they could. I was a little surprised with the Andy Kaufman show that uh, uh, Jimmy Hart did not really say very much about Andy Kaufman. That that, that was more or less uh, Jerry Lawler talking for maybe about 90% of that episode. And that... Uh, 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 taking uh, him to uh, to Graceland where he went up and uh, didn't he... Uh, he wrote his name and didn't he lick the uh, the gate? Well, no, but he would sit there and he would meditate in front of it. He said every night he wanted to go out there and sit in front of the Elvis's gate you know back before when they had 24-hour security in front of it and and all that stuff and they would you know shoot you if you wrote something on one of the the walls he would write his name on the gate and sit there and meditate in front of it you know because elvis had died not too long before that and it was before the massive hysteria and and everyone you know wanting to show up there at graceland and give their uh, uh regards to elvis so he was He's kind of ahead of the game on that. But I was surprised that Jimmy Hart, you know, the mouth of the South himself, didn't have a lot to say in that episode. But um, I thought that was that to me, that the, the Annie Kaufman episode in and among itself was one of the best hours of television I've seen in recent years about wrestling. I, I like, like both the Memphis ones. They're my favorites so far. Um, World Class was a good one, too. Yeah. Although I was shocked. That Kevin Von Erich looked so old. I just, he, he was in such great shape when he was younger. And looking at him now, I just. He's been to the last couple of cauliflower alley. Well, you know, he, he's got that gray hair mixed in with the, uh, his original color. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it, people see him because he sometimes accompanies his sons in MLW. Um, but yeah, he's gotten. Uh, you know, older, thankfully, he's still alive. But, you know, that is, uh, well, that's another topic we can talk about on another show is they're making that into a uh, full-fledged movie, the Von Erich story. That's right. Yes. And that's yes. a big, I don't know how that's going to be, how is the general public going to take that? Because I don't know if anybody other than wrestling people watch. There's a lot of drama, though. I mean, just if you want to just talk about, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and how that whole era was affected by it. Um, I mean, really, the Von Erichs were like, you know, as big an act and as big a thing in Texas as the Rolling Stones were in England. They were know? big in Chicago. I shot a couple of times, just a handful of times, five times at the Sportatorium. And uh, I won't say which brothers, but during intermission and stuff, they were selling pot to some fans. There were two of the brothers, Jack's kids, uh, and this had to have been 77. And um, But what a wonderful venue that was. It was Raz, but it was like a county fair indoors. You could smell um, those, uh, whatever those cakes are called that they sell at county Funnel fair. Cakes. Funnel cakes. Funnel cakes. They, they actually made those at the Sportatorium, you know, so there was the smell of grease and corn dogs and all of this stuff it was a great great you know all of the venues 
in in my territories era were fantastic because they were all unique. The fans, the timekeepers, the TV, the refs, every territory was magic and different in its own way. Like Dallas versus Detroit or Toronto or Tri-WF or AWA or Florida or, uh, you know, I, I think they could do Tales from the Territories on the three uh, Mexican promotions. You know, sure, that but, would be something. Or, you know, they could just do something. They could just do a Tales of the Territories just on the, the, the big arenas like you just talked about. You know, places like the Cow Palace and places like uh, the Sportatorium and well, places like Omni, you know. Jim Ross last Friday on Rampage AEW was saying, talking about all the history with Pat and Ray, etc. I was waiting for him to say Rocky Johnson and Peter Mavia, but he didn't. Uh, you know, they were hyping the Cow Palace upcoming shows. So they have some dates. I think they have three dates. They have a house show, or they have a house show and then in January. And then I think in March, they're doing the Wednesday TV and then the uh, pay-per-view. But I, I think doing one on just the different arenas, the, the, and the character of the arenas. The arenas themselves were almost like they were not the stars of wrestling uh, back then in those indie, the, the, the territorial days. In their but own they were, way. They were stars of the Chicago Amphitheater. I'll tell you my favorite venues to shoot. Obviously, the Olympic Auditorium was home for me, as was the Cow Palace, my secondary home base. But Keel in St. Louis, the amphitheater. There was a Madison Square Garden in Phoenix, Arizona that was terrific. Uh, the Sportatorium in Florida, the Eddie Graham, you know, one of his many venues. I don't even think he, he could pinpoint one because he had several. Uh, obviously, uh, in Memphis, that was a fantastic. That was just a class place. Detroit Kobo was insane. And on the other, in the dangerous area, Dick the Bruiser's WWA venue was Olympia, uh, the Olympia, which was super dangerous uh, for his shows when he was taken on the Sheik or uh, the war there. The Montreal Auditorium, uh, you know, for, uh, gosh, there was a territory war there. They should do one on territory wars. I suggested to them, Montreal, Detroit, Atlanta, even Los Angeles, where Vern Gagne came in in 69, partnering up with Jack Kent Cook, who owned the LA Forum. He owned the Lakers and the Kings franchises. And he tried to take on LaBelle and the NWA Hollywood wrestling office. And he only put on two shows and fizzled. But that's the thing that killed me. And then I think we're running out of time here. Greg Gagne was talking about, oh, Vern would never disrespect someone's territory boundary. And I'm just screaming at the TV. Uh, well, maybe he never told his kid, but Greg exactly. knew in 69, yeah. Vern did. He tried to take on and, and battle for supremacy in Los Angeles. He had two amazing shows. The first one had uh, Vern defending against Bruiser, and uh, uh, Larry Hennig took on Luthez. And the Vashans wrestled. Uh, they were the tag champs at the time, and they defended the tag titles. I forget against who. Uh, but they had two primo cards, but they couldn't draw a dent. I mean, the Olympic Auditorium, Munchik was not only came in his only time ever in Los Angeles during this war, but he was having all the territories send in matches. One of the opening matches 
advertise was uh, in taking on because they were on Friday nights and Gandhi was on when he was did his two shows. They were Saturday at the forum. So at the Olympic, the opening match, Don Leo Jonathan and King Curtis against Pat and Ray in the opener. It doesn't get bigger than that. And on top was like Blast, oh, yeah. Dory Funk Jr., Mosters, and a hair versus mask against Bull Ramis. Uh, you know, Isn't this, that the picture that you have behind you? That, that's that's one of them. That's uh, not that's not that particular one, but um, that was one of the uh, Moscars because that match didn't end up. That was advertised on the war against Ganya, but it didn't happen. Uh, and also on that card, they had Ernie Ladd advertised going against Pedro Morales, and that match neither, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, neither guy showed up for that. But still, they were selling out, and uh, Ganya tucked his tail between his legs. Yeah, there were matches that were advertising, insane matches, and then not all of them happened. Uh, well, that's that's the magic of card subject to change. The, those are maybe the most magical phrase words in, in professional wrestling, is that yeah, to change. Only in wrestling, because I don't think you seldom see that. You don't see that with real sports uh, cards subject to change. Maybe only boxing. I don't know. Where can you get it, make a substitution and get away it with it? happens in MMA every so often, too. Well, it, it happens, but I don't think they go card subject to change. And usually fans know in advance, and they give you the option of, you know, saying, I don't want to see this show, give you money back. It's different now with the internet. It's different now with the internet. People can tell ahead of time that guys aren't going to be able to make the show. Well, in wrestling, though, I think it's the only... I can't think of any other entertainment avenue where guys could double book themselves. Yeah, that is that is definitely a relic of the past that doesn't happen too much these days. Because, again, people are smart enough with the internet... Well, the one guy from the Good Brothers was supposed to, Carl Anderson, defend his title, whatever the title was, uh, for New Japan. But instead, he was booked for the Saudi show, and he, he was double booked. And he told New Japan, I'm not going to make it. And they were furious. They said they'd strip him of the title, and blah, blah, blah. But he is coming in to do the job and drop the title since he signed full time. He can't. Uh, do that. Why don't we talk uh, the next time we're up? Let's uh, whoever we have, maybe not with Hollywood next week, uh, but talk more about Tales from the Territories and how it differs from Dark Side of the Ring. It's a positive, you know, you can't lose when you have the boys just talk about old ribs or if you were talking like the Montreal, the birth of the Mabel stories, that's a whole nother. Yeah, but, but if you don't like stories about people getting their eyes gouged out, then you probably shouldn't watch Tales from the Territories. Boy, I thought just one story about a guy getting his eye gouged out would be enough. But there's like three stories that they've got from the different territories about yeah, guys Florida, getting their eyes poked out. Florida, Memphis. Uh, yeah, hilarious. And world class. Except when Mad Dog Vashon in the AWA was pretty uh, incredible. I had really, I can't recall hearing the story of him having to take that dump on the airplane with the, uh, Heenan holding the bag, or, or I forget who was holding the bag. Yeah, Heenan had to deal with that. Wow, that was really something. Well, uh, so yeah, I guess with that, that's our hour for, for this week. Um, anything you want to plug at all or tell the fans that they should be uh, checking out, you know, while you have the forum here? Well, 
support indie wrestling. Uh, go to evanginsberg.com. He has his blog going. I'm going to be uh, probably working with him on uh, some defense against some bullshit. Only in wrestling do people try to destroy each other and, and make up bullshit or take second or third hand stuff. So uh, there's that. Just support indie wrestling. And, hey, uh, Jonathan Schwartz gives our show a shout out in his most recent uh, wrestling court. Slam Wrestling. Yeah, in his slam. Yes, net. I was one of the early, early writer photographers when Greg Oliver got that going. And I was there for a couple of years. And I still contribute pieces. I just had uh, an obit on Bob Mulrin and on there. And, and Doris DeQuadro mentioned him as well in it. So uh, what about yourself? Do you have some stuff to, to play? I, I got to tell you this. I'm just really looking forward to having Hollywood on next week. She hasn't been on the show for almost a year. She's one of the great guests. So I'm going to tell fans to, you know, get your uh, 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 fingers ready to click on that one when we get it uploaded next Sunday night. And, and it was great to have you on the show just for you and me chatting about some stuff. We haven't really had a chance to do that in a while. So, so that was kind of fun. So, uh, but we're out of time for this week. And sorry that our guest didn't make it this week. We'll, we'll, we'll find a way to book Nikita on the show sometime in the future. He's always been a fun guy to have, but uh, just something must have come up this week that we couldn't find him. So, uh, you know, again, art subjects change everything. Great holiday season, too. It's holiday season all month long. That's right. So everyone, you know, find a good charity, make some donations. You know, uh, if you can go see a show, a lot of places are doing holiday shows for, for charity, you know, bring a toy or something like that, and they'll donate it to a uh, to to a local charity so i remember apw doing that for for a number of years that was always really fun and then for ccw we once did one angle where i came in as an attorney to try to stop the toys from being donated and then the uh the reno scum came in and chased me off and 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 and, and took all the toys and threw them into the audience to the kids. And it was really a lot of fun. So, you know, I kind of missed that sort of shtick. It was fun doing during the holidays. So. The Indies are where it's at. Yeah, so just try to help people because now it's the toughest time of the year, health-wise, hospitals are getting full again with all the viruses and stuff. So be kind to each other, try to help each other. It's the holidays, some people are having it rough. And uh, try to help a senior and a little kid out too at the same time if you can. I agree completely. All right. Well, we'll see you next week for uh, the return of Hollywood, and we'll see everyone next week. Good night, everybody. Good night, guys. <laughs>